Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I am Chris Sork alongside DLU here as we look back at K-State's 31-12 win over Oklahoma State. Uh, K-State used a dominating second half performance to, to break a three-game losing streak and uh, get back on the right side of things here as they head into the off week. Uh, but here on the Short Side Option, there are no off weeks. Uh, after uh, DLU and I will be breaking down the K-State win, we'll look ahead to K-State's basketball season and preview that and then wrap it up with this week's Wildcat legend and Ask the Icon. DLU, nice to get back on the right side of things for K-State, wasn't it? Yeah, we uh, we have kind of a trying season so far, and uh, Saturday's performance, particularly in the second half where we outscored Oklahoma State 28-6, to uh, was a much-needed dose of uh, encouragement as we move along uh, throughout this football season after we'd endured some pains uh, in the first uh, few weeks. Yeah, you know, I thought it was K-State's best overall game defensively of the season, really with what they did against what's a pretty capable offensive team as we previewed last week. Uh, you know, not letting them really get comfortable, uh, forcing Cornelius into two interceptions, both by uh, Duke Shelley. Thought this was the most complete game that the defense had played all season. Yeah, anytime you can hold an offense like Oklahoma State to only getting into the end zone one time, uh, you have to like those chances, especially – uh, given how explosive Oklahoma State's offense is, uh, which we talked about last week. But uh, K-State's defense took care of business uh, throughout the entire game, and uh, after proclaiming that the lynch mob was missing uh, after the Baylor game, I think it's safe to say that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, the lynch mob, it's back. So uh, get ready for that, because I don't... It's 100% back now, and I don't anticipate it leaving again for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Uh, the Lynch Bob is back. Tell your friends. Tell everyone you've ever met in your life. Uh, this unit is playing at a pretty darn high level right now. Uh, you know, coming off of uh, a disappointing performance against Baylor, it, it seems to me it's as simple as if this team, if this defense makes tackles, which they've shown, you know, a little bit tough to do. It's just tackling the ball in open field, it seems like to me. It's not necessarily that, you know, oh, we're just getting roasted on, you know, 50-yard deep balls or, you know, people are going 50 yards untouched uh, on running plays. It's, you know, they're gaining 10, 15 yards on a carry because we're missing tackles and uh, allowing them to pick up that extra yardage. Absolutely. I mean – it was rare, I guess, a couple times, especially in the West Virginia game, uh, comes to mind that you saw the defense kind of being in the wrong in the wrong spot, not being in a position to make the play. But even against Baylor, it it wasn't a matter of we're lost out there. It was just a matter of finishing the play and wrapping up. And on uh, on Saturday against Oklahoma State, it seemed like. Finally, we were able to put together a complete uh, game. And you saw that against Texas, too. Sure. In the second half against Texas, I thought, you know, obviously holding a top 10 Texas team. Think about it. When was the last time we could say that? Probably like two two or three seasons ago. After they beat Notre Notre Dame Dame and go go unranked in the top 10. But, you know, uh, that's a fine Texas team. Uh a Texas team that hasn't really been blowing people out by winning, you know, close games against K-State. Uh, of course, Oklahoma recently, and then uh, had another nail-biter last week against Baylor. But that's impressive that they were able to hold them, you know, scoreless that week. And I think this is the – but in terms of an overall game, this was definitely the most complete game that they've played so far this season. For sure. And, uh, you know, it, it has to be talked about the performance of Duke Shelley um, because he is playing at a level right now that – K-State fans haven't seen a secondary player play at in quite some time. Um, would you say it's at an all-conference level? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, he's Big 12 Player of the Week this week. He had two interceptions against uh, Oklahoma State, had one more against Baylor. And uh, he's finally, I mean, he's been playing at a fine level throughout his career, but in the last few weeks he's really taken it to, to another level and shown to be one of the best secondary players in the conference. Well, I, I certainly agree. I know he graded out extremely highly on uh, the PFF grades that were made available this week. He uh, was Defensive uh, Player of the Week in the conference, 
and uh, really has, you know, acquitted himself as as probably the best, one of the if not the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Twelve. And you know, I, I just want to pull. I'm a big numbers guy, of course. You yeah, you're famous for how into numbers you are. You're just. I'll see you just sometimes just writing down numbers without rhyme it's like, or reason. You it's just like a them. beautiful mind, you know, just all over, all over the place. You yeah, know, but you're all... not doing math equations. No, just... <laughs> I'm just writing numbers. Yeah, you're yeah. just transcribing numbers at random. Well, so like. I have a pattern here that I've noticed. Okay. Against Baylor, Duke Shelley had one interception. Okay, I'm with you. Against Oklahoma State, he had two interceptions. So in the bye week, he's going to have three. No, no, he's oh. taking a break. Okay. But his next game against Oklahoma, it's... Through my analysis, that he is going to have three interceptions. Or is the pattern... Now, stick with me, numbers guy. Okay, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, so against Baylor, one. Okay. With me so far? Yes. Against Oklahoma State, he doubled that to two. See where I'm going? I think he's going to have four. <laughs> he's going to have four. My what? calculations did not... For... <laughs> what do you think about that? My calculations did not account for this. Yeah, get ready. Wow. But hey, we can't look past this bye week. No, this bye week, you know, hopefully uh, some folks get rested up, healed up. Uh, Kendall Adams did not play at all in the game against Oklahoma State. So uh, hope to have him back and get him in the fold again. But uh, really an overall, uh, a very solid uh, performance here for the K-State defense. And uh, it was a solid performance, uh, you know, throughout the game for him. And what did you think about uh, Walter Neal uh, making his return I thought he provided a, a nice lift. You know, Oklahoma State really wasn't able to move the ball uh, much through the air. Uh, I believe here on the numbers uh, they had how, how many is it? 184 yards passing. Uh, I would have to say that that would. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I would imagine that's their low water mark this season by a, a pretty considerable margin. Uh, thought K State secondary as a whole played well. Of course, a lot of that credit goes to Duke Shelley, uh, but uh, the whole defense uh, really played. Uh, pretty darn well when you look at uh, the defensive back situation. Yeah, and, and that was their low mark for the season, or at least Cornelius's low mark. Uh, their next lowest uh, passing yard, yardage total was against Boise State, where they threw for 243 yards. So about 60 fewer yards on uh, Saturday than they've thrown for all season. Yeah, and it was uh, it was a really strong performance for K State. Uh, I want to get into a little bit of the first half because it did not start out well for the Wildcats. Uh, as they trailed uh, at halftime, six to three. We've seen, uh, you know, six to three in a Big Twelve uh, football game it, it, at halftime is nothing you see very often. Uh, but both defenses, I think, were playing well. But I think a lot of it was a product that the, the offenses weren't really moving, uh, you know, as well as they would like to as well. Uh, K State didn't really have much success offensively uh, throughout the day, but then they got it going here in the second half. Uh, there is one thing I want to highlight there at the end of the first half. It's K-State's driving uh, down the south end zone. And with about two minutes left, K-State's got the ball at about midfield. And I turned uh, to, to my dad, who I sat next to, and I said, you know, with any other team in the, in the conference, two minutes is gobs of time to get, you know, a shot at the end zone here. And I said, we're going to not have enough time because we didn't have any timeouts really, at, at the same time as well. So I thought the that drive at the end of the second half, at the time I thought this is if we lose this game, because K-State, uh, Skylar Thompson took a sack, which of course you can't do in that situation uh, when you don't have any timeouts, and uh, it was at that point third down, I believe. You don't have the time to do that. And it was something that I looked back and said, if K-State's going to lose this game, it's going to be easy to point back to this occasion and say this is why they lost yeah and and that's i think just a product of uh our passing game struggling and you know you look at that drive that drive started with five and a half minutes left in the half and it's not as if k-state was inside their own five they didn't have to go 95 yards or something crazy like that they started at their own 21 yard line with five and a half minutes left now who in the stadium there when that drive is starting is thinking, oh boy, we better get on our horses here because we only have five and a half minutes to score. Like, you don't really see very many five and a half minute drives, period, anymore. And certainly not drives that end on a, it, it, with the time expiring 
just inside the Oklahoma State twenty yard line. Yeah. So it's 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 crazy. But you're absolutely right that you know you have a pretty successful drive that goes. I mean, it, it goes about sixty yards, um, and uh, to come away with no points because of the clock running out is something that is really frustrating. Now, K-State fans uh, can rightfully be upset with that, and, and they should be, but uh, I think some folks look at that and say, oh, you got to have a timeout left in that situation because K-State had already exhausted their three timeouts. I don't necessarily believe that, oh, you have to have a timeout in this situation to get done. Yeah, you'd love to have one, but to me it shows – a complete lack of awareness of time and situation here. As Skylar Thompson had time to get rid of the football, it wasn't like he was completely blindsided by the blitz. The blitz came right up the middle, and he failed to, to get rid of the ball, and Costco State a chance at three points there. Well, a chance at three points is, is the important. Sure, um, a chance. There's no guarantee what especially the field goal, since Blake Lynch is back there kicking him. Yeah, we're missing our little guy. But... Uh, so, the, but point taken that that was uh, frustrating and at the time felt like a pretty dangerous way to uh, end that half, especially when so few points had been scored at that point. You hate throwing away drives like that. So we'll go ahead and look at the second half of this game, and we'll look at uh, Oklahoma State getting the ball at halftime, uh, getting the ball after halftime, a quick three and out, and then K State goes out and has you know their best drive uh, of the game going nine plays for 70 yards and a touchdown, where it was it was a lot of Alex Barnes. Uh, Alex Barnes uh, had four touchdowns on the day. This was his first, and you have to hand it to the offensive line here uh, as they seem to be getting it a little bit more on track here as we get into Big 12 play. Yeah, it's, you know, we've been a broken record every week up to this point in the season saying, you know, being frustrated with the offense and saying, you know, this offense has no identity. We're not a passing offense. We're not a running offense. Our offensive line stinks. But over these last two weeks, it's it's clear that we do have an identity. Um, you know, Barnes ran for 250 against Baylor. He uh, ran for over 180 against Oklahoma State. And uh, he's just gobbling up touchdowns all of a sudden. So finally it seems like, okay, this, this is what we're – this is what our offense should be based around. And it's what we thought it would be based around coming into the season. Uh, but for whatever reason, up until the last two games, the offensive line just hasn't provided any sort of push to let Alex get into space and, and uh, you know, get positive yardage. But uh, we're seeing over these last couple weeks what this offense can be when it just goes to the well and gives uh, Barnes a ton of carries. Yeah, I think that... This is going to be the recipe going forward is against these defenses here in the Big 12, maybe not as equipped to, to stop the running game. Uh, that's our bread and butter, and uh, it should be something that we exploit. Uh, as K-State uh, started in that second half, uh, they started that second half with four consecutive touchdown drives. Well, every, every drive they had in the second half, except for the last one that Where, killed you know, the it was, clock. It was a one-play kneel down. Yeah, every drive they had in the second half was a touchdown. So, when's the last time K-State's offense has scored on every possession and a half? A touchdown. Tough, be, it'd be tough to find. Yeah, it would be tough to find, I, but you're a numbers guy. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, uh, maybe we can come back with something here in the middle of the week, uh, you know, or a little bit later in the week as we look uh, towards uh, Oklahoma here down the road where we can, uh, we can get that answer for our folks. Yeah, well, and so even, even despite the, uh, the rough first half, where we only put up three points, uh, didn't have a ton of yardage, had a really disappointing drive there at the end. Um, but I don't believe we had any turnovers on Saturday. Nope. And no we put turnovers. up 31 points. Unless you want to call a turnover on down late. But no, 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 no. handing the ball to them. No. And so overall, uh, an efficient day for the offense, and probably with the exception of UTSA, um, the most complete performance uh, by the offense this season. I want to go back uh, to Skylar Thompson as I, you know, was pretty hard on him there at the end of the first half. Uh, you know, had a decent day, 11 of 12 passing, 130 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. That's nothing that is going to catch anyone's attention. 
But he did have 80 yards rushing, and a couple of those were on some big scrambles that really prolonged K-State's drives and really gave the... I think a lot of what maybe some criticisms of Skylar Thompson are is, oh, he can't run. He's not, he's not a runner. However, he's not a designed quarterback runner. He should not be running the ball through, uh, you know, between the tackles on designed quarterback runs. However, when you call a pass, nothing's open, he's got enough, he's fleet enough of foot to escape the rush and go out and pick up 8 to 15 yards, which he did a couple times on Saturday. Yeah, and that should be his role running the football. Uh, It doesn't make any sense to try to shoehorn him into being some kind of Colin Klein role or really even a Jesse Ertz role Mm -hmm. because he just doesn't have the size. He he shouldn't. That's not his spot. His spot is uh, scrambling around and going up against a defender about maybe three yards within the line of scrimmage and bouncing it outside, uh, which is his favorite thing to do. That's right. And uh, he can get you some good yardage there. But his he's billed as a passing quarterback. Now, unfortunately for him, I don't really think our receivers uh, are uh, you know, a big enough threat to where he can take advantage of that, at least this year. Mm-hmm. But if he can just be learn some pocket presence, which uh, I think he's been getting better at over these last couple weeks and uh you know at least make the smart play i think that's what we can ask out of him this year and uh we'll be in a position where next year our receiving core hopefully gets some uh some more horses uh, to take advantage of uh, his passing ability with with pocket presence is there any substitute for that i mean is that the only way you're going to get better at pocket presence is just by playing more. I think that's – I've been kind of wrestling with this. I think it's something that you can coach, but I don't think there's a lot of substitute for being in the fire and, and going through the, you know, getting these six, five and six-man blitzes in your face and, and doing it under fire. Yeah, I mean, I think some guys have it and some guys might not, at least initially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't look at, you know, a freshman quarterback who has great pocket presence and I – think wow how did this how does he have such great pocket presence um just because i think you can have a knack for it and kind of feel the pressure but uh for guys that don't have that innate sense or whatever you want to call it uh and i don't think skylar does then i do think that that's something that comes with time yeah i think so too and i'm hopeful that that's something that he'll continue to progress with uh i do want uh to also highlight a couple plays that I thought, or one play in particular, that I thought really was a significant play in the game, and that is a Wyatt Hubert uh, play on third and goal at the one. As Oklahoma State, it's a 3-3 three to three game. They're going in here right before, uh, kind of right before half a little bit. Uh, it was on their second to last drive. Uh, big part here in the game with about seven minutes left in the second quarter, and they get the ball down there off of a deep pass to Tylen Wallace, and K-State's defense stiffens up and uh, forces Oklahoma State to a field goal. They try running a little jet sweep uh, where the, you know, the quarterback gets the ball and just tosses it. Yeah, so it. if it fumbles, it's uh, it, incomplete. Exactly, and uh, as, as we see the Kansas City Chiefs and several other NFL teams also kind of adopt that play that you, you first only see in college. And uh, Kyle – or not Kyle Ball, but uh, Wyatt Hubert – uh, diagnoses that play right away and and stuffs it out for a four yard loss, which makes Oklahoma State uh, settle for a field goal, and that seemed to me to be a big turning point in the game when uh, what almost certainly looks like seven points for the uh, for Oklahoma State only tra- only ends up being a three point field goal. Yeah, it was a it was a big play, and it's it's good to see you know Wyatt Hubert really take a role um, being a young guy on this defense, seeing him step up and make those really pivotal plays at such a at such a young age is encouraging moving forward and it was definitely important on Saturday. Yep, I absolutely think that uh, this was the best game of the season for K-State. Um, Alex Barnes, 181 yards rushing for four touchdowns. Also was K-State's leading receiver with three receptions for 51 yards, a nice little wheel route uh, down the Oklahoma State sideline there for a, a big pass play, 28 yards. Uh, he really 
carry the carry the water for the K State offense. Yeah, and speaking of receivers, what did you make of uh, of Isaiah Zuber on Saturday? Puzzling, some, uh, stepping out of bounds on that kick return. I could not. I said, "Why?" I mean, there was really. I mean, if you go back and watch the replay, it wasn't like he was in a lot of traffic. He didn't have really a guy, you know, right next to him trying to, you know, run with him or anything. But just stepped out of bounds on what would have been seven points on a kick return. Yeah, it was just bizarre. And then he had he had that uh, right soon after that uh, he had a catch on the sideline that got overturned by review, and it was just like. What's going on, man? Yeah, it was definitely a frustrating game, and he got taken off the field there after that for for a while. So, you know, K State uh, moved in some new guys uh, there. Gets a couple different guys. Uh, Malik Knowles got some run. Uh, Wyking Gill also got some run uh, at the receiving position. So, definitely a with with Dalton Schoen being out, definitely some guys getting thrust into the fold there. Yeah, I was really encouraged to see him like Malik Knowles uh, on the field because I think that's a guy with a really bright future. Yeah, the, all the reports are that he has been a a very good player in practice on the scout team, and Coach Snyder even in the post game said that he's more than earned his uh, spot by and large in in. Uh, in the uh, post-game conference. So. No, by and large. Wow, you that was a that, great that was, impression. That, that, that's <laughs> by and large. Uh, that, you know, after he says it. But, uh, yeah, you know, a guy that uh, you like to see, see these young guys get on the field. And, and uh, I, he didn't record a catch in the game. But uh, hopefully next week against Oklahoma he records his first catch. And hopefully it's first of many. That's right. That's right. So that'll wrap up the Oklahoma State review portion. K-State gets a 31-12 win on a homecoming. I also want to give a shout-out to a great crowd. It was a beautiful day for football. You were right about that, by the way. I was not. I I expected K-State fans' daubers to be down. Um, But, yeah, it was a packed house, you know. You were absolutely right, and I guess uh, that's just another reason they call you the icon, my man. That's right. But uh, I have to give it a lot of credit. It it got pretty loud on some third downs. Uh, Crowd was into it. It, it, Like I said, too, you couldn't have asked for a better day for football. Uh, Gorgeous day outside. Uh, But K-State, you know, made everyone happy there with a 31-12 win. Uh, We'll be back after this break. We're not done with football yet. We'll have some of the football questions later here in the show and ask the icon. But a nice win for K-State as they get back on the right side of things with a 31-12 victory over Oklahoma State. After, the, after this, we'll be back to break down the basketball team on the short side option. All right, welcome back to the short side option where we are getting into the K-State basketball preview. Uh, I think uh, coming into this season... A lot of high hopes for K-State. Most preseason prognosticators are uh, tabbing K-State the top 15 range. Um, Have them near the top of the conference in the preseason projections. Uh, Madness in Manhattan was obviously last Friday, so a lot of optimism surrounding uh, the K-State basketball program at the moment. A lot of excitement. But before we get into really previewing this year, Icon, I think a lot of the uh, fervor surrounding the program right now is stemming from uh, the tournament last year. Uh, and obviously the Elite Eight run, which featured a win over uh, John Calipari in Kentucky. But one thing that's kind of stuck in the back of my mind is, you know, we were a... I'm comfortable calling us a pretty good team throughout last season, at least the regular season. Uh and then we got on, we went on fire during that elite eight run. And so I guess my point is, is are we setting ourselves up to be a little disappointed this year? I mean, was the elite eight run something of a fluke, or is it was it a the result of just the team's maturation? Um, I don't know. I guess I'm just a little worried about the elite eight run being a mirage and this preseason hype being a little overblown. What do you think? Well, that's been something that some folks have said about, oh, well, K-State, they had to play a 16 seed in the second round. Right. They they had to play the 16 seed in the second round, and then they had to play uh, 
you know, Kentucky, and, and that was the one game. That was really the one game when you look back at uh, last year's basketball season that we went out and beat a team that we really weren't supposed to beat in terms of, you know, K-State. A lot of talks made uh, last year. Lost to KU twice. Lost to Texas Tech twice. Those were the two best teams in the conference. Got blown out in Morgantown. Got blown. Lost all three times. Or lost twice, excuse me, to uh, West Virginia. So they didn't beat the teams that they that were better than them, so to speak. They didn't beat the teams that they were better than, but they did take care of the teams that they should beat. So that was a little bit of the criticism. And then after they beat Kentucky, uh, they obviously went and, and got pretty well handled by Loyola as they made their way to the Final Four. But one thing I do want to mention to you. So this team reminds me a little bit of a K-State football team. Interesting. Reminds me a little bit. Oh, I know t- what you're going to. I, I know exactly where you're going. You're going to say me- 2012, aren't you? Well, I'm I'm going to say 2011. Okay. As this last year's team reminded me a little bit of 2011's football team. You know, a team that won a ton of tight games. A ton of tight games. Every game that they played. We're on the same page. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this year feels a little bit like 2012. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly where I'm going. But last year uh, in, in basketball, team was a solid team. Uh, I never felt was really in danger of not getting into the NCAA tournament. And then once they made it in there, they you know took care of business without their best player uh, being available for, for much of that. Uh, Dean Wade got some minutes against uh, Loyola and got some minutes against uh, Kentucky. And in the Kentucky game, we needed every bit of contribution uh, from everybody on, that, on the roster in that game um, as we – we're hamstrung with foul trouble throughout, and uh, ended up having to play. I think five guys under six six or six four by the end of the game with Snead fall or fouling out. Yeah, so, and Levi Strauss fouled out too. I think. Yeah, and the bell cow was out of the game. I mean, it was we were we were very small towards the end of that game. But what I'm getting back to is, I think last year's team. I think this run gives them a lot of confidence going forward. Uh, obviously when you have that success of, of making a nice run in the NCAA tournament, and I think also doing it without your best player, I think adds to that confidence that this team has. And with the leadership that they have back with Xavier Sneed, uh, Kamal Stokes, Barry Brown, and Dean Wade, uh, you know, with a, with a mature nucleus and having guys – I mean, everyone's back from the last year's team, really. Any any significant contributors back? I think that knowing how close they were to getting to the Final Four is going to be a big driving factor for you know not only individual improvement from each member of the team, but an overall hunger for this team that you know we were this close last year without our best player, with our best player in there, and at a hundred percent. Why can't we win the whole thing? Sky's the limit. Absolutely. Um, well, what do you think about the concern that, given last year's uh, success in the tournament, that uh, in the hype surrounding the squad this year, that this K-State team is going to have a target on its back, um, really for the first time, really under the Bruce in the Bruce Weber era. Um, it's certainly the highest hopes uh, preseason-wise that K-State fans have had. And the rest of the conference now is going to be viewing K-State as one of the teams to beat. And I think that kind of gives a different dynamic to this team that they haven't really faced, and the program hasn't really faced, uh, you know, since the Frank Martin era. Sure, no, that's something that it's a different uh, position to be from going from the hunter to the hunted. So I, I don't take a ton of stock in that, oh, that's a completely you know, new thing that they're going to have to deal with. They're not going to be able to, to go out and deal with getting teams' best shot each and every night. I think some of that's a bit overblown. Anytime that you lace them up with, you know, with any type of team on, on the other side, you know, K-State uh, is going to be ranked top preseason top 15, top 10. Whenever you have a team that has a you know a ranking going in, that's going to give another team some added motivation. But K State's got enough motivation, I feel like, to where they they 
know, having been in the underdog role, that you know it is a little bit different of a mindset, but I think they're going to be fine. I'm not too that concerned about it. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of the actual roster. Uh, obviously, we know the familiar names. We know we got X, we got Dean, we got Stokes, we got McGurl, we got Sneed, we got Bellcow, we got all these guys. Um, but who uh, of the newcomers do you see is is getting the most minutes and having uh, the biggest impact on the team? Well, since we only have two newcomers, I'll even highlight both of them. How's that sound? But I'm going to hold you to that. I, I want an answer okay. to my question. Which which of the newcomers do you see having the biggest impact? I think from an immediate impact perspective, I think Austin Trice is going to be that guy. Um, just because the front court's a little bit, uh, a little bit more available for playing time. I think right off the bat, with the backcourt you've got, or with the backcourt you've got guys like uh, Brown, uh, Jada. Um, Kamal Stokes, Mike McGurl. The backcourt's pretty well figured out. Yeah, and now I will say this, though. I think Sean Neal Williams is going to get minutes. He's going to get minutes in the non-conference schedule. And depending on how he performs, and of course practice, as well as you know those non-conference games, he's going to have plenty of time to audition to be in that rotation come the start of conference season. And I think he will. I think when you look at what he has from not only uh, – he's probably the most pure point guard on the roster from when you look at overall floor vision, how he sees the floor, getting others involved. I think he's probably the best in that area. I will also say, too, is he has, like Barry Brown is now, Sean Neal Williams has that ability to become – you know, a, a lockdown defender throughout. And because of his length, he can really guard one through three. So I think this is a guy that is going to play this year. Uh, I think Austin Trice, which was my an- answer, he's got a little bit more playing time available for him. Uh, he was a guy that was brought in as a guy that is going to be probably the first post off the bench and, you know, he may even get into the starting lineup. The time will tell on that. Over uh, Belkow? Yeah, potentially. Potentially for sure. Um, but I think this is a situation where playing time is a little bit more available for him. And I think maybe by the end of the season, K-State's best lineup may end up being uh, Sean Neal Williams, Barry Brown, uh, Sneed, Trice, and Wade. So, so you anticipate Trice maybe telling the bell cow to move over? He could be. He could very well be. And, you know, if you went to Madness in Manhattan, you got to see a little bit about the kind of athlete that Trice is. He's not only a guy that can, you know, really soar and, and you know, slam it down with authority, but where he's going to be making a lot of his contributions are going to be on the glass and getting, getting those offensive rebounds, which are, you know, a backbreaker. Uh, for defense when they've defended for, you know, 25, 30 seconds and they can't secure the rebound and uh, K-State's able to run a couple more seconds off the shot clock and get another opportunity. So I want to see a little bit about how he fits really into the offense. You can't really tell much from a scrimmage type situation, but all accounts from what, you know, what I did see in the scrimmage at Madison Manhattan and from his reputation as a junior college player, that he's going to be a guy that's going to you know, be able to grab that extra possession and is going to be a guy that's going to be tough for a lot of teams to keep off the glass. Well, we'll stick in the front court here. Um, today it came down that uh, Dean Wade was voted Big 12 preseason player of the year. Uh, I don't quite – it wasn't clear uh, who voted in that. I assume it was the coaches. Yeah, I think it was. it was the coaches' selection. I think I read something that the APs, or not the writers. The writers, I don't know if it's AP necessarily, but the writers, uh, they will have theirs, I believe, in the following weeks. So let's so let's assume bit, that it's the coaches. Okay. Um, Dean voted Big 12 preseason player of the year. Do you think, uh, what are the chances you see him being the actual Big 12 player of the year? I mean, he's probably odds on favorite right now. 
but do you anticipate him uh, fulfilling those preseason predictions? Yeah, you know, typically the conference player of the year goes to the best player on the best team. And, la- you know, obviously last year it was um, Devontae Graham from KU that uh, won that award. Hard to argue with that. Uh, he, of course, willed him to several wins last year on a KU team that I think if you ask any KU fan would say wasn't one of their more talented ones in the last uh, several years. But I think Dean Wade has a great chance of winning um, of winning conference player of the year because when you look at what he does offensively, I don't like to use this term because it comes off as, I think, a little cliche, but he is a matchup nightmare because he's too physical and too good in the low post to cover him with a guard. They'll just go right over them and score with his back to the basket all day. If you match up with a guy that is, you know, maybe a little bit taller, uh, that can bang with him in the post a little bit, Dean Wade will just pop out and, you know, abuse him on the perimeter. He can handle the ball, uh, you know, at the top of the key. He can, you know, create his own shot one-on-one. The guy really is a complete offensive player at this point in his career. And from where he came at, let's let's rewind here a little bit, back to his freshman, sophomore years. This was a guy that was reluctant to shoot the ball. Right. He, that, was, he was. that was the frustration. It, is. It, it was the frustration that not only K-State fans had, but teammates had. I remember seeing him come off the court, you know, after, you know, a time, media timeout or whatever. And he had maybe passed up a couple open shots. And, you know, coaches and his teammates are saying, Dean, shoot the ball. You are one of the best shooters, you know, on the team. You need to be taking the shot. And it's taken him a while to, uh, to get to that level of confidence. But he clearly has it now. And, I expect him. It, it's really tough to look at what's going to be the. I mean, who's going to win conference player of the year? I think you could you could look at it a couple of different ways. I think it's going to be someone from either K State or KU, most likely. If K, if you know, if it's going to be from KU, it's probably going to be Quentin Grimes, uh, Dieter Glosson, um, or Yudoka Azubuke. It's probably going to be. His main, uh, his main challengers from from KU, but also too Barry Brown also was voted first team All Big Twelve. Uh, Barry Brown averages twenty points a game, plays his patented you know great defense, and you know averages four or five assists a game. He's going to be pretty tough to keep. Uh, you, you know they could split votes in that res- in, in that respect too. Don't but, forget about Xavier Sneed either. He, I mean, if his game continues sure. to evolve, then yeah, I think in terms of pro potential. I would say Xavier Sneed has the most pro potential out of anyone on this team. And he's going to be a guy that is probably going to have a decision to make at the end of the season, uh, considering things that go well for him and that he has a good season, which you know I fully expect him to do. Uh, he's going to have a, a chance to, to uh, you know go in the first round of the NBA draft uh, next season if he has a great year. So I think really when you look at it, Dean Wade has to be the favorite, and I think he's well-deserving of that. So, on Dean, do you do you anticipate you think that Dean is the most important player on K State's team? And by that I mean, by most important I mean, who? If K State had a season-ending injury in non-con for one of its players, mm-hmm. who would you least? I don't. How do I want to phrase this? Who would be most devastating if it to K State? Uh, that's a really tough question for me. It's definitely between Barry Brown and. Um, and Dean Wade, you, you look back at K-State's tournament run and say, well, it can't be Dean Wade. K-State made it to the Elite Eight without him, really. But that is a little bit misleading, I think. Uh, during a four-game stretch, or a three- or four-game stretch, and there's actually a little bit of a, a school of thought that when you lose your best player in the NCAA tournament, it actually can help you in a, in a weird way that the other team doesn't quite know how to scout you. Because all of that they've seen up until this point in terms of what's on film is K-State with Dean Wade. 
So now that we're going to be running out this four guard lineup, how exactly, you know, are we going to handle this? You know, how are they going to use certain players? I don't really buy that. Yeah, if that I, were the case, the team uh, yeah, should the, just sit their best player. Yeah, I think it's. I think it, it does add a wrinkle to to what the other team has to do from a game planning perspective. But I think to say that it would benefit you significantly is ridiculous. But I think Dean Wade is the. I think he's K State's best overall player. He gives us, like I said too, we don't have a lot of depth in the front court. We have capable players in the front court, but there's not a ton of depth. And I think when you look at if Dean Wade was to go out uh, for a significant amount of time, he would probably you'd have a starting lineup of Trice and uh, Mayween replacing that. I think uh, that replacement would be significantly uh, would be significantly more detrimental to K State if it was. A go- like let's say Barry Brown went out with an injury, where you can either swap uh, Jada in there at the two and move Stokes to the one, or go Neil Williams at the one, Jada at the two, or you know move Snead to the two. There's a lot of different things you can do there. Just a lot deeper in the backcourt, sure. um, even and, with the addition of Price. Yeah, and like I said to my guy, as I mentioned last on last podcast, is Mike McGurl. I think he's going to have a great year, and uh, so I, I think that just adds to to. Uh, the backcourt's uh, depth. So, breaking this down, where, in terms of your expectations for this season, what's what's a reasonable K State fan's expectations coming into the season in terms of results? Is is this a season where K State should expect uh, to be at or near the top of the conference, finishing first or second? Should K State fans be expecting a four seater higher in the tournament? What 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 do you think are reasonable, uh, reachable expectations for this team? Sure, um, I think I hate to, college basketball is such a sport where a lot of your a lot of if this season is a success is determined based upon one of the largest crapshoots that there is in in sports, the NCAA tournament. You see upsets all the time in the NCAA tournament. Last year, of course, 16 being a one. Uh, you know, four seeds going down to 13 seeds are almost like a yearly occurrence these these days. So it, it is a such a difficult tournament. Rarely the best team wins. Uh, the, the overall NCAA tournament last year with Villanova, I don't think anyone's debating that the best team won that. However, to answer your question, I would say what K-State fans should expect this year is a top three top three finish in the Big 12 Conference. Going into the NCAA tournament, a four-seater higher, and making it to the Sweet 16 again. I think those I think that's kind of the minimum expectation. Now what what's your prediction? I'm putting you on the spot here. What's my prediction for K State this year? Yeah, where do we finish in the conference, and, and what seed do we get in the tournament? I, I won't. I won't say we're going to get to the. I won't make you say how far we're going to go in the tournament. But I think uh, what's what seed? What seed do you expect us to get? I expect K State to be. I'm going to go ahead and say K State's going to be a three seed in the NCAA tournament this year, and the reason why, I think K State will finish. It pains me to say this, but they'll probably finish second uh, to KU. Although I do, I, I will say this, so I'm going to be riding the fence here. But I think this KU team is going to be really interesting to see how they gel throughout the season. Of course, they have a lot of off-the-court stuff going on right now with the federal investigation into college uh, basketball. And oh, uh, really? I haven't been following that at um, all. What's, is, is, are people looking at jail time here? Yes, significant jail time. Is Dollar Bill uh, said neck on the chopping block? He's uh, he's been spotted getting fitted for stripes. Uh, going even, to even, college. You know the other thing too is you know having gone to Oklahoma State, he still has plenty of orange in his wardrobe, so it might be a yeah. might be a nice uh, transition for him. He's got plenty of that. But uh, all joking aside, uh, joking. That there's not, nothing to joke about there. That's all serious. But uh, as we look at. You know what the Big 12 is going to be this year. It's going to be a little bit down from where it was last year. I think you've got six teams though that get in uh, the NCAA tournament this year from the Big 12. 
uh, K-State, KU, West Virginia should have another solid year. Uh, TCU uh, as, as, a, as another one. I think Texas Tech is going to be on the bubble. Um, and I think, T, or I think Texas is also going to be kind of right there. So if, case, if, uh, if the Big 12 gets six teams in, that would be about right for me, I would think. But in terms of an overall quality of the league, it's going to be down a little bit from from where it was before. Well, that's uh, nice to hear when K State's on a on an up year. You want your competition to be struggling a little bit. Yeah, and I think I mean I still think that West Virginia is going to be a preseason. I mean they're they'll finish the or I think they'll start the season in the top twenty five. I expect TCU to be in the top twenty five, if not right near. I expect K State to be a top ten, top fifteen team. And I expect um, KU to be in the top five. So I think that's where the meteor conference is going to be. The the teams down at the bottom, though, not as not as tough as teams in the Fed past. Another team I'd keep an eye out on it as well as Iowa State. I think they're going to have a pretty good year, and they're th- they have some really talented players with Cameron Lard and um, Lindell Wigginton. Uh, Nick Weiler Bab also is another good player for him, but they do lack a little bit of depth. Uh, as they were one of the youngest teams in the Big 12 last year. They're still pretty darn young, so it'll be interesting. But in terms of top-end talent, uh, Iowa State certainly uh, has some of that. So uh, if I heard you right, your prediction is a three-seed in the tournament, finishing second in the conference. Is that correct? Yes, that's my official prediction. But I do, like I said, I do think KU... No, no, no. I think KU is vulnerable this You're year. You're locked in. I know. I am locked in, but... You know the other thing too with KU is they have a they're counting a lot on a bunch of transfer players this year. That now while they have been playing with each other, you know through practice and stuff like that, it's a little bit different of a situation from when you're playing in practice to when you're really getting out there on the court together and playing against uh, you know live competition, not uh, not just you know your other teammates. So I think that that's going to be interesting. They also have. Uh, you know the Diedrich Lawson kid. I'm not. I'm not sold on him at all. I'm really not. Sitting in. Charlie Moore is their point guard, or is going to be their point guard. Apparently, uh, I'm also not sold on him either. I, I saw him play at California. I don't think much of him. So a, a strong two in the conference. Then it's it's. Uh, I think I think this conference race is going to be tightly contested. Well, that, I, that I agree. That I that I will say with uh, a thousand percent conviction. Well, Wildcat fans, from the icon's lips to your ears, that's uh, uh, optimistic hopes from Chris. And can I, I, I do want to butt in here real quick. So you ask, you're asking me the end of the season. End of the season where KC. Like where, where are they finishing the NCAA tournament? No, I, I'm. You're not going there yet? Oh, I, I, yeah, where, where are they finishing in the NCAA tournament? I think they get to the Final Four. Wow. Final four. I'm calling it. Raising calling a banner. For, I'm calling for the final four this year. And uh, once she gets to the final four, anybody's it's anyone's dance there. All right. Well, that's a reason to be excited for uh, Bruce. Absolutely. Who we love so much. We, we have such fond admiration for him. That's right. Well, that wraps up our college basketball preview. We'll be back after this to get into the Wildcat legend, and a segment we like to call Ask the Icon here on the Short Side Option. Welcome back to the Short Side Option where we are getting into uh, one of our favorite segments on the show. It's a segment we call this week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, this week's Wildcat Legend is, uh, is a forward that played during uh, the Jim Wooldridge era. And he uh, was number 21. And this week's Wildcat legend hails from across the pond. (laughs) He liked to eat escargot and uh, appreciated the art form of mime. Uh, Do you have a guess at who I'm talking about? Dilo, I think you can only be talking about number 21, (laughs) Draman Diara. No, I was talking about Tyler Tyler Hughes. Actually. Oh, well, my mistake. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, my note, actually, you're right. I was talking about Dramon Diara. Uh, Dramon Diara was a hell of a player for K-State, especially his senior year in 2005-2006, where he uh, played in 28 games, 
averaged uh, a really hard-fought 5.3 points per game um, and had the ability to uh, to do a lot of rebounding as well, where he uh, nabbed uh, 5.3 rebounds a game. So it's he was a really dominant force in the post for K-State. And uh, Tell us a little bit about your memories of this Wildcat legend. Well, you know, Dramadiara is a guy that... When I think of his illustrious career at K-State, I think of one game. One game sticks out to me. And it was K-State's 59-55 win at Allen Fieldhouse. Oh, the Piss Barn? At the, at the Piss Barn in 2006. Where Drama Diara, and you know what? There's, there's a little legend to this, too. Oh, really? Fill us in. If you still go to Allen Fieldhouse late at night, you can still hear the swish from Dramondiar about 15 feet away on the on the uh, on the right and left elbows, just knocking down jump shots. Wow! And you know, as K State, if you go back and you watch that game, Jim Wildridge and K State, the entire second half is running the most the most basic play, the most basic set you'll ever see, and just running basic flex. It's probably anyone that has ever played middle school, high school basketball. That's the first play that you get taught, and that's what K-State rode to a 59-55 win against the Jayhawks. Wow, that story, that legend you just told is pretty scary. If you, if you, just, if you find yourself in Lawrence and you walk by Allen Fieldhouse at, at a certain time of night, you're just going to hear Drama and DR ripping the cord. Oh, man, that's great. That, that, just, gave, that just sends, you know, it's kind of near Halloween. I know, it's kind of in the season, so... so. It's uh, no. He was a he was a he was a big part of that team, and he was a big part of K State uh, pulling off the upset against KU that day. Absolutely, and, and one of our uh, one of our favorite players from uh, international uh, countries, and uh, he happens to be from France, as we said. And mm-hmm. uh, I think he brought a lot of that uh, flavor to Manhattan because he was just famous for cooking up all his pastries and croissants and uh, crepes and. Um, and also balling out on the on the hardwood too, and so. With, with that being said, not only was he a wildcat legend off the court or on the court, but off the court, tales of his his crepes, his homemade caviar. Just a culinary master. Those don't go. Those don't go uh, away either anytime soon. That's right, and so that's why, Dramondiara is this week's wildcat. Legend. Uh, we'll get into our final segment here on the short side option where uh, listeners can pose questions uh, to the short side options icon, Chris Sork, in a segment we call Ask the Icon. Those questions can be posed uh, to our Twitter, which is at TSSO underscore podcast. Uh, you can submit questions there and uh, they will get read uh, live on the air like we are doing right now. Or recorded on the air. We're live. But we're, we're live, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, our first question comes from a fantastic Twitter user, uh, KC Wright, uh, at Wright underscore KC. He has a topical question, which is, uh, what should be a K-State fan's opinion on the Adidas FBI investigation? He says, tell me how to feel. Well, Casey, uh, thank you so much for chiming in with that question. It's, of course, been a hot-button issue here as the college basketball season's about to get underway. And, you know, everyone can make their own decision. But uh, for Casey, I'm going to tell him how to feel. And I'm going to tell anyone that uh, is a fan of a program that is not involved in this and that is clean, like Kansas State is, that you should feel very upset. Because this is damaging the game of college basketball, and for the te- for the people and the programs that follow the rules, it puts them at a significant disadvantage. And not only does it put them a significant disadvantage off the- on the court, which is you know what we care about the most, of course, being fans of the team, but um, it is it's cost a lot of coaches that that play by the rules their jobs because they don't win enough. So uh, it's definitely. Uh, you know, I, I've I've been hearing that this is you know paying players and doing this stuff is is a victimless crime. Who's who's at fault? Well, uh, 
tell that to coaches that haven't won enough that have gotten fired that it's um, that that there's no victims here. So I think as as a fan of K State, you should feel happy that you aren't having to worry about this and that you won't have to worry about this as long as Bruce Weber's here. And uh, I will also say too, I think that this is. Uh, it's going to be up to the NCAA to see how they want to handle this. Uh, I, I would love to see them get tough on this stuff and to where it's not a, a mainstay in the news and it's not something that we're dealing with every other year. Lock him up. Lock him up. Uh, our next question comes from Vern. Uh, Vern asks, uh, The lack of perceived talent has been an overwhelming concern brought up by our fans. Uh, after Oklahoma State, would you say that our fans have been too harsh and should reevaluate the talent we have? That's a great question. I think that fans in general are often you know, too wide-swinging on these kind of things. You're never quite as bad as you think you are, and you're never as good as you think you are. And I think K-State has some talent deficiencies. I think that there's no question about that. Is it as bad maybe as we've been saying? Mm, maybe, maybe not. When you look at where we are from a recruiting perspective, I think I had seen something that uh, you know most of our recruits maybe have just a handful of Power 5 offers in each class. That's something you're, you are concerned about. But when you look up and down this roster, there are some players. I mean, you have guys like Isaiah Zuber, barring he you know, can stay in bounds and, you know, make catches along the sideline. Uh, he's been a, a pretty darn good player for K-State this year, and he still has another year uh, you know, here in, in the program. So I think that when you look at things uh, from that perspective, you maybe think that maybe it's not as bad. Alex Barnes is having a heck of a year. He's probably going to be first team uh, all Big 12 running back. Yeah, I agree. I think that this, especially if Justice Hill keeps putting up 44-yard yeah, well, yeah. he's he's not facing the lynch mob weekend. Nah, that's out. true. That's, that, that's something you have to account for. But guys like uh, Eli Walker played really well. I think the linebacking core has been coming around a little bit. Um, but the other thing that with K-State, and this is probably where I will say that we are a little bit deficient of talent, is K-State can be all right in a season as long as they don't have injuries because the lack of depth has certainly been a concern this year. And it really has been a concern for K-State for a number of years. So, you know, I don't think K-State has the kind of talent that they need to have. But I think that the talent that we do have when healthy is per, is is definitely passable for, for what we need to get done in the Big 12. Are, is it going to be enough to win 9, 10 games year in, year out? Maybe not. But, uh, you know, to be a 7-5, and 8-4 type team, I think that there is enough talent on this roster to, to achieve that. Uh, this year, 7-5, uh, 8-4 is probably not going to happen. David Sabin at Sabination asks uh, the icon to give us a grade on the production value for Madness in Manhattan and uh, to grade Bruce's intro dance. Well, there's uh, a couple different things to get there on that one. I thought uh, Midnight Madness was Madness in Manhattan. I've called it like Five different things. It's confusing. In terms of that branding needs some work. That that needs a little bit of work for sure. Um, at least at least this guy needs to work on that. But uh, what I would say is there were some really good things. I thought there was a really nice tribute to Tex Winter where they played a nice, uh, you know, kind of an old school clip of, you know, some f- former players uh, and, you know, kind of how he, you know, invented the triangle offense. There's a really nice part on that. Um, now the one thing I would say that could have used a little bit of improvement would be it didn't seem like the players knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing during these some of these contests, like the three point shooting contest. Uh, that went that went fine. I think everyone knew what they were doing there, except for uh, there were some a guys couple who bricks really struggled. <laughs> couple bricks. Uh, Xavier Sneed had hit the side of the backboard on a couple of corner corner three point shots which he has been prone to do before, but he had the last laugh because he, uh, he took home the title uh, along with uh, Sarah Bates on the three-point shooting. So have to give credit to, to Snead there. But I thought one thing, I didn't really like all the, the PA or, or the, you know, the lady that was emceeing it. I thought 
uh, you couldn't even hear a lot of the time. The microphone kept going in and out. So I think from a from that perspective, there was some work to do. But uh, for the dunk contest, some of the guys thought they only had you know they make one dunk, and that's what they were going to be judged off of. But uh, they had you know they could have as many ducks and dunks as they wanted to in a minute, and they were going to be graded on that entire minute. So there was a little bit of confusion on that, but overall, it was a fun night. It was pretty well attended, and I think it's got everyone going, uh, feeling good about going into basketball season, and uh, there was no better part of, of midnight in Manhattan. Madison, Manhattan. See, I'm telling you, they need to do something. <laughs> midnight in Manhattan. <laughs> it was midnight in Manhattan at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock on, uh, on Friday, but uh, Bruce Weber did a great job dancing. Uh, came out to... I can't even. I think it was a Chance the Rapper song, maybe. I can't, I don't. I don't. I don't. Know unless it was Dire Straits. Unless 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 it's Dire Straits, I don't know anything. But uh, yeah, he they were having fun with it. You could tell the players from both the men's and women's team really enjoyed it. Uh, Benzi for KSU at KSU underscore funny thirty three asks over under one and a half on the remaining wins for the football team. I'll go over. Uh, I think K State will will beat KU. Uh, two weeks ago, if you asked me that, I might not say over. I would say that K-State's going to have to struggle just to get one. But I think K-State will beat KU. Uh, there's your one win. And I think, you know, looking at the rest of the schedule, you've got OU. Excuse me, that's going to be really tough for K-State to get a win there. TCU on the road I don't think is an impossibility by any stretch. Uh, they've really struggled offensively. And... Uh, I think K State. That's a matchup that they can that they can you know make a game going going in late to that game, and then of course the final three games of the season, uh, Texas Tech, KU, Iowa State. I'm giving them the win against KU. Lock it up now, and I think they find another one someplace in there. Can they get to six wins? That's going to be the question. They are. Ask, ask the D-Lou. Ask they the D-Lou. K-State's getting the six wins? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Icon, do they... Uh, sorry, this is from Tyler H. At TH8 underscore. He asks, Icon, do the Cats have a better chance at a bowl game or a Final Four this season? Final Four. All right. Yeah, I mean, no, no simpler. That's, uh, as I said earlier, K-State's going to the Final Four. So, you know, I think it's in Minneapolis, Minnesota this year. So, book your plane tickets. Hotels, get them now. Maybe make sure they're refundable. <laughs> get them now. Lock them up. Lock them up, though. It doesn't hurt, you know. Lock those up and lock him up. That's right. That's right. Um. All right. Uh. Twitter user Bear at Purple Bear Four asks, which starting offensive player do you think could beat everyone else on the starting offense in a fist fight? Mortal Kombat tournament format. So, the, so let me. I don't know how familiar you are with Mortal Kombat, but it's a ladder style. So it's, you fight, it's going to be one guy facing uh, all ten other starters um, in a ladder format, one after the other. And he has to go the gauntlet. So, in, in some respects, it pays to be the last guy. No, no. You don't get to be the last, you don't get to be the last guy here. It's which offensive player... Can do it. Starting with number ten, moving all the way up to number one. You have one guy has to fight ten other guys in a row. That's how Mortal Kombat works. Icon. Okay. Well, see, that's I'm, I'm getting educated here. So, yeah. Uh, Dalton Reisner. We'll I think that's him. a safe bet. We'll go with him. He's the biggest. Um, plays with a little bit of passion out there. Saw him finish off a couple of nice blocks against Texas. Uh, saw the same against Oklahoma State, getting nasty after the play. So I'll take a guy that's not only the biggest, but has a little bit of a mean streak. So I'm taking Dalton Reisner. I, I think that's... It's where the smart money is. It's, it's why they call you the icon. Uh, and then finally, Chris Hansen at chansen88 asks, Will Cartier Jada perform above Big 12 honorable mention uh, player level? That's a really good question. So I believe in the Big 12 postseason awards... They do a first team and a second team. I don't think they do a third team. I think it's first sec or it's first team, second team, and then just honorable mention. So I don't think Cartier Jada will probably be first or second team when you look at it. Um, 
I just don't think that that's probably – I think the odds are against them a little bit there because I think K-State is going to be pretty diverse in the back in the backcourt. Uh, I think you're going to have enough guys in there splitting the load a little bit to where, you know, from a numbers perspective, he might not be, you know, where he needs to be. Um, however, in terms of a caliber of performance and caliber of player, I think he's certainly uh, better than just an honorable mention player. I think what you saw last year uh, from a defensive perspective, uh, not many people in the Big 12 can really I, – I won't. he's probably not the best defender on the team. I think Barry Brown still is. But in terms of his length and his quickness uh, laterally, he's a very tough uh, person uh, to get around. And he's going to be – uh, he's going to be getting a lot of you know playing time on on some quick guards of the conference, and he quits himself very well against them. So uh, I think the biggest thing for him is going to be is he going to be better with the ball in terms of you know turning the ball over and kind of some lazy passes, lazy turnovers. He he got into a little bit of habit with that last year, but when there comes to driving to the paint and finishing with contact, he's as good as any on the team. And this is a team that also has Barry Brown, who's an elite finisher. All right, well, a lot of good uh, Ask the Icon questions this week, and uh, that, uh, that'll that wrap us up. Icon, do you have anything else? Nope. Uh, thank you for listening on this week's edition of the Short Side Option. Uh, we will be back next week to uh, just preview uh, the Oklahoma game. Uh, K-State goes on the road to Norman. A place where they have had some success over the years. A weird amount of success over Yeah, the years. more success in Norman than in Manhattan for sure. Because K-State hasn't won in Manhattan since 1997? I think it would be 95, actually. 95? We oh, won- no, well, they would have played... Well, I guess at that point, I don't think they played them in 97 at home. They didn't play them in 97 yeah, at home. So it would have been 96? Maybe ninety six. Yeah, I think ninety six. It might have been if the schedule stayed. I, I can't. I can't remember because I know they were swapping out. You didn't play everyone from the south at that point. But I know for a fact that they beat them. In, well, we lost in two thousand. Lost in two thousand, of course. Yeah, we've had some heartbreaking losses at home to to you. Uh, we would have played them in two thousand one uh, on the road. Yep. So it would, probably would have been ninety seven. We did play them at 97 at home. We played them on the road at 97. So the 96. Sure. Well, we're going to we're gonna do some reset. We're going to leave you on a cliffhanger. Yeah, that, that gives you enough reason just to tune in next week to find out when the last time K-State <laughs> beat Oklahoma in Manhattan was. God, I'm excited. So I, we, we won't look it up until then. We're going we're gonna to find out together uh, on next week's edition of the Short Side Option. But uh, thanks again for listening to this week's edition of the Short Side Option. As I said, we'll be back uh, next week to preview Oklahoma as K-State tries to make it a perfect 2-0 against teams from the state of Oklahoma. Obviously, Oklahoma State champs. Oklahoma State champs. Print the t-shirts, baby. For Chris Sork and Dilu. thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Short Side Option. Oh, 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 o